we are talking Square Biz tonight on Game Shows, I suppose. Everybody and welcome to this niche podcast about the one thing that knows something about game shows. I suppose I'm your host Jordan Haas. I've noticed I always kind of say that as an introduction. Like, like what else should I say? Like, I mean, like, hey, well, it's a game show podcast. Check it out, dudes. What up? What up? Woo! It's not really in my be. It's not in my vernacular. Shall we say? Uh, this is the podcast uh, where we're we're talking game shows. I can just be blunt to the point. I'm Jordan. Let's talk game shows. Maybe that would have been a much better intro. Uh, but no, it's it's the niche podcast. But the one thing I sort of know about game shows, I suppose. Uh, today's episode, we're talking Hollywood Squares. But before we get through that, we got to talk about uh the the series where we look at pricing games from the price is right we are now entering the 2010s this is the pricing game spotlight <laughs> pay the rent oh boy we're doing pay the rent I can't believe it. Anyway, this was uh, premiere date, September 20th, 2010, 5231K. This is the biggest pricing game in the history of Prices Right. This pricing game is played for $100,000. One of the biggest cash prizes in daytime game show history. This game is played for six items, grocery items, and offers a top prize of $100,000. The main prop is a house with four levels of gameplay, from lowest to highest. In level one, you'll be seeing just the average everyday mailbox, but once we go inside the house, first floor has a couch and a stove. We go into level two, the second floor, a television and a bathtub. Until we get to that final top, that attic where there's a safe that could hold $100,000. The mailbox and attic levels contain a position for only one product. The other levels require two. One, two, two, one. After being shown all six grocery items, the contestant selects an item for the mailbox, hopefully something very low. The contestant then selects two items for the first floor in the house, then two more in the second floor, leaving one last item in the attic. The total 
of the product prices in each level must be greater than the one in the previous level. The price of the item in the mailbox is first revealed. Contestant gets $1,000. Just like that, the easiest $1,000 you'll ever get checks in the mail. If the combined total of the products in level two, however, is more than that of the mailbox, because two is more than one, you want to gamble it? Good odds. That $1,000 becomes $5,000. We go into level two. That is your third level. If level two, those two are more than that two, we double it. 5000 becomes $10,000. If the total prices of those two procs on the second floor are higher than on the first floor, they get 10000 However, if the product in the top of the attic is priced higher than the combined prices of the two on the second floor, they win $100,000. At each level, the contestant risks the money won, which means if you go on, let's just let's just say a hypothetical. You pick the, the, the can of tuna that was 79 cents. Then you picked like the cleaning supply and uh, a chocolate bar, and that's like $4.00. And then you decided to pick like the like the the gallon of bleach and the perfume, and that's like twelve dollars. Do you risk that twelve thousand for the uh, the plugins, the Glade plugins? Because of that, Glade plugins is more than twelve. You win. Oh, it's nine dollars. It is the most expensive price theoretically, but you messed up with the puzzle, and you lose everything. Throughout the game, the contestant may choose to quit and walk away with their cash prize uh, up to that point in the game. But if the upper floral item is below the previous item, the game ends and you leave with nothing. So here's the strategy to the game. According to Prices Right Fandom, you must first decide the highest priced item and where to put in the attic. It's reverse thinking because you're told to pick the first item first. You have to think in your mind which is the most expensive of those six, since that's the only way to win this game. While there are 180 total possible combinations, there are only 30 in this game with the correct highest price item is chosen. The remaining strategy depends on the price structure of the prizes. As of June 3rd, 2016, there have been 150 possible winning combinations in 56 times the game was played, considering the uh, values being from 1 to 6, which is low high, the combination of 4 two three five one six could have been won 27 times by far the highest successful combination you pick the fourth most expensive then two and three five and one and then six while it's not rigged despite what people think the odds of winning are controlled by the price structure the five times this game has been won uh, the odds were 33%, 46%, and 26%. And due to high number of winning combinations, eight, fourteen, it was 8, 14, 10, 11, respectively. Often, there's only one correct solution, a 3% chance of winning, usually occurring when the item prices are close together. Choosing the 4, 2, 3, 4, 5, 1, 6 combination is best in this situation. Pick the fourth most expensive. Pick the second most expensive and the third most expensive. Pick the fifth most expensive and the least expensive and then the most expensive item, obviously. When a large spread in prices is suspected, 
the one, two, four, three, five, six combination is the absolute best choice. Least expensive, second highest, fourth highest, third highest, fifth highest, sixth highest. Having been won two thirds of the time is a winning combination. Every instance where there has been more than four possible winning combinations, eight times. Since the previous strategy heavily depends on the guessing the correct order of prices, a more practical approach is to put the items in three categories, low, medium, high. In this case, generally the best odds are put a medium in the mailbox, a low and medium on the first floor, medium and high on the second floor, and the most expensive highest in the attic. Nobody has won $100,000 in its first 30 playings of this game. The odds have been 6% of having a winner due to the low number of correct combinations, given the shopping item prices listed. No matter what, this is achievable, by the way. Um, during Big Money Week, though, History was made when the contestant became the first to win paid the rent in $100,000. Their game was to have 10 possible combinations, 33% chance. With the $100,000 win, the contestant saved Big Money Week being a total wipeout. And this is the weird part. Are you ready? Who created Pay the Rent? It was... Rich Fields, the announcer for The Price is Right, the guy who got fired, in air quotes, from the show, created Pay to Rent, one of the most often wanted to play four games on The Price is Right. Uh, he, was design he designed the game before his resignation from the show and is the first pricing game to premiere since Rich was fired at the end of season 38. On July 3rd, 2014, contestant Kevin became the second contestant when won $100,000, with 14 possible correct combinations, 46% likelihood to win. Uh, with the $100,000 win, Price is Right received its second perfect show. On October 1st, 2015, a breast cancer awareness special, Nicole became the third contestant with $100,000. On February 23rd, 2018, Big Money Week, it was played for $200,000. On September 17th, 2018, Price's 47th eighth premiere, a contestant named Rocco became the fifth winner of $100,000. Two people didn't get the products in the correct order, but both took the cash bout of $10,000. In the first case, it was the only winning combination, and they nailed it. For an Engaged Couples episode, it was renamed Pay the Wedding, and for a spring break and back-to-school specials called Pay the Tuition. The price structuring appears to have changed after the first 28 playings. Initially, the small spread in prices from low to high, leaving only one possible solution. In these cases, there would be a very small difference between the attic and second floor prices, presumably to make very difficult choice to go for the $100,000 prize. Subsequently, the odds have improved increasingly until there was a winner, typically by increasing the spread in prices. After each win, the odds were adjusted back down, with the next one occurring only after the odds were once again approved. The most number of times this game was introduced in any season was 12, starting in season 39. The $100,000 sign that's used on pay to rent is made from the numbers in the $1 million sign, which was used in the Million Dollar Spectaculars. This game has been indicated by a green price down dollar sign when it gets and stands before the game's reveal. On the February 23rd, 2018, the first time pay to rent was played for a different cash prize, the cash prize was $200,000. Uh, anyway, it has been used in the episode Scorpion. Remember that TV show Scorpion? Uh, the contestant was on The Price is Right. This was the pricing game he played. Uh, so he explained the rules and won, ba 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 And this was actually used in a version of The Price is Right in Britain when Alan Carr did the one-off special in 2017. 
Uh, pay the rent was played for 500 pounds, then 1,000, 2,000, and finally 5,000 pounds. Honestly, it should have been a bit more. Should have been maybe 20,000. Should have been like 1, 2, 5, 20,000. There is a list for odds and all that, but I don't really need to go into it. I like pay to rent. It's a puzzle game based on the pricing games. A lot of people hate it because they think it's rigged or it's tough or I went from least to greatest. It's not how it works. It's all about basically playing a game of poker against the prizes. You have one small item, which is the which is kind of like the red herring in the group. Then you have the two items you have to beat it. Then you have two items to have to be, you have two pair of grocery items to have to be another pair of grocery items, but they still have to be less than the most expensive item. That's what makes it the puzzle. It is fun. It is such an enjoyable game to see. High tension on pay the rent. And most of the time I see people bail out $10,000. And what they kind of do is they kind of do play the one, two, three, four, five, I don't know, six, and I'm calling it off at 10,000. And you know what? That's fine too, because $10,000 is basically not just game show minimum in the world of other game shows. $10,000 in the Price is Right is a win in the grand game. It's a win in other pricing games involving grocery items. So I consider this a perfect payout. The price structure on pay the rent works because you have to really risk $10,000 to play for the $100,000. And that's why I enjoy it so much. Uh, and it's all based on odds too, which I also enjoy. Next time on the Pricing Game Spotlight, look out, there's a double cross. I'm driving down Hollywood Boulevard with the wind in my face. Life is good. I love love Hollywood do, 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 the lights and the camera the glitter the glamour I love Hollywood I just have to keep playing that theme song because that is my favorite <laughs> like that's one of my favorite theme songs in game shows I know a lot of people like the square biz theme more or the original but I just, just something about that just I love Hollywood Squares just for the theme songs alone, if that makes sense. Probably not. I don't know. Anyway, hi. I'm Jordan. Welcome to the game shows, I suppose. Solo sessions. It's just you and me. Unless you're just putting this at 1.5 speed, in which case... Uh, hey, how's it going? Uh, so as we're counting down before we close this show up, 
unless I just do this, I just say screw this and put on Patreon. Uh, <laughs> we're talking about some of my favorite game shows of all time, and you know, like as much as like when we did the match game episode. Man, I was like late, and I was just going, "Oh man, I hate this show." Just, uh, just, just saying, penis, Steve, and poo poo, and pee pee. Hollywood Squares is different to me. I loved every iteration of Hollywood Squares except for one, and I think it's the one everyone knows is bad. And then we there's other versions, which I also pretty much dislike, and I think it's mostly because. It's such an easy format to figure out, and you either complicate things or you ignore what makes the show fantastic. So, Hollywood Squares. If you've never seen Hollywood Squares, uh, it's on in other countries usually as like Celebrity Squares or Bollywood Squares, uh, and it's it's a game show where contestants, two players, one as an X and one as an O plays tic-tac-toe on an oversized tic-tac-toe board where to earn the squares they have to either agree or disagree with a celebrity as they are given a funny question with a funny answer uh it takes me back to when we did the uh funny you should ask because that's basically just hollywood squares but no tic-tac-toe game to me I love Hollywood Squares a lot uh, because you have nine celebrities and hopefully you get to use all nine celebrities in an episode. Now, typically on the show, the center square is the main star of the show, the Whoopi Goldberg, the Joan Rivers, and then you'll have the surrounding cast. And depending on which uh, decade you go with, you might get a Martin Mole. You might get a Brad Garrett. You might get a Paul Lind, who are the iconic staples of the Hollywood Squares of the decade. And you just enjoy the moments. Yes, Shadow Stevens is there, but, you know, it's all about the wacky quizzes. It's all about the statistics. And it's like, true or false, so-and-so says this. Or, according to a new survey by Blah 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 magazine, 65% of women do this before going to bed. And it's like, always going to have a funny answer, because you let that the blooper. A blooper is given, and then everyone laughs, and then they give a truthful statement. Do you agree or disagree? I think it, that I agree. No, it's this. That's a disagree. And therefore, the opponent gets the square. If you are the X, the circle gets the square. If you're the circle, the X gets the square. If you're correct, X gets the square. O gets the square. Or circle and X. Um, Because it's just knots and crosses. It's just tic-tac-toe. Played with trivia and funny celebrities. It can't be any more complicated. I should just end the show like that. That's it, everybody. Thank you for watching. It's people playing tic-tac-toe with celebrities. The end. Bye. Um, But to me, the show has so much success because it is a show that I, when I think of a classic game show, and I mean classic game show, it's one of the first 10 to come to mind. You, you, for me, when I say classic game show, 
I say Price is Right and Jeopardy. Then I say probably like Newly One Game. Then I say Hollywood Squares. Then I say Password. And it's always like jumbles in my mind because there's so many different versions and variants of a game show. We have the quiz format, the word association format. We have the, the celebrity association game. We have game shows of luck. We have game shows of romance. We have game shows of, of talent and skills such as cooking and dancing and singing. And Hollywood Squares is a classic game show. It is, to me, f- like it has every aspect of a good game show. Except for one thing, and this is where they always fuck up. No bonus round. You don't need a fucking bonus round. Hey. Hey. Hey, you. Don't do a fucking bonus round. Hey, hey. No bonus round. Hollywood Squares, in the original form in the 1960s, and when I'm going the original, I'm going with prime time. We're, we're talking about old school Hollywood Squares. We're talking Peter Marshall, blue-tinted backgrounds. We're talking about the weird three-story tic-tac-toe board that looks very flimsy, and at any point, a wind gust can knock that and topple everything over and kill nine celebrities. Uh, (laughs) Back then, even as early as the 60s, they would do the carryovers. Not everything was self-contained, but in... Early formats, if you won two games, you won the match and you get a and you win a prize for five thousand dollars. Like that was typically what it was. Uh so it was if you for each game you win it's a hundred dollars. And if you win two games, it's two hundred dollars plus a bonus three hundred, making it five hundred. And you also win a bonus prize. Uh usually it was like a prize package and a secret square prize and uh cars and stuff but then in the nighttime primetime versions it was uh 300 for each completed game and when time runs out uh they get 50 dollars for each square when time was running out or or in the case of the modern version that uh and they get money for each square left on the board uh usually this is done just to guarantee a consolation prize to the the runner-up, so no one walks away empty-handed. Whoever has the most money at the end of that episode wins a bonus prize. And usually it was keys to a brand new car. No bonus round in-game boopity doopity doopity doo. Sometimes they would throw in cash of $5,000 or $10,000. Uh, if there was a tie, there would be one final question with uh, a true or false question. Uh, those were self-contained, and those are usually the ones that you would most likely be seeing on a on a game show network if they were ever to do replays of the original uh, version of the show with Peter Marshall. And then they did, like, in the last season of Peter Marshall's run, because they kept changing everything. If you win a tic-tac-toe, you win a prize, and if time runs out, whoever had the most squares at the end of that game wins the prize and then they had all sorts of different tournament packages and different prize things and it just it just doesn't uh blah, blah, just uh just blah. but anyway what i'm trying to get at is that even back then hollywood squares did not know what it wanted to be it knew what the show was you pick a celebrity here's like a factoid tr- do you agree or disagree 
and circle gets the square, X gets the square. It's also primarily used in internet lore, believe it or not. Because I will actually say internet lore. A lot of people like to say, uh, for the win, in, in, in terminology, you know, like that's epic win or whatever. They say, for the win. And they'll always be with something else. So it's kind of like uh, video games for the win. Epic bacon for the win. Sans Undertale for the win. I'm, I'm making you feel bad, aren't I? But anyway, for the win is, a, is actually one of the game show phrases from Hollywood Squares. So if you're going to blame anything for the for the win, blame Hollywood Squares. Because in this game, when you call a celebrity and you're either doing a block or a, or a chance to win the round, you will say for the win or for the block. So, Paul Lynn for the win. Uh, Joan Rivers for the block. And we go over the question. If you don't say for the win or for the block, guess what? Peter Marshall will say it for you. All right, this is for the win. That's right. I am actually going to say for the win a lot in this episode with no uh, irony whatsoever because it's fun. So... In one of the rounds, typically, uh, there's three rounds of playing, and the second game is the sequence game. I feel like I'm Adam Sandler doing a character. The secret square game. <laughs> the secret square game is one of the best rounds in Hollywood Squares because it's one that everyone kind of vaguely remembers. So, there are nine celebrities, you know, you call one, you get it right, you get square, because it's a three-by-three three grid, it's a three-story building, each celebrity is assigned a different square. They sit in a square for the entirety of the show, almost like a weird panel game show, but standing on one's end, almost in an isolation chamber. Uh, round two, when someone picks a celebrity, one of the nine was chosen at random before the game to be the secret square. If the contestant picks that celebrity, sirens go off, and holy shit, it feels like you just robbed the bank. But that means you just hit the secret square. One question is given to that celebrity. They will give their answer. Agree or disagree. If that is correct, you agreed on a correct answer or disagreed and it was incorrect, you not only get the square, you get a prize package. It's usually a jackpot because it starts out with maybe one prize or two prizes or three prizes. But if it's not one on today's episode, another prize will be added to the pot for the next game for another person to try and win. So on rare occasions, this can go on for two weeks where someone got bluffed so hard that one secret square, secret square could be having like 12 prizes. So suddenly Peter Marshall and the announcers are like, well, you just did it. You won. Congratulations. You won $100 to true value. You won yourself a new bedroom group. You won yourself a microwave oven. You won yourself uh, that fur coat. You won yourself the uh, video cassette recorder. You won yourself those uh, the vinyl record player. And you won yourself the $1,000 uh, in service merchandise. 
congratulations and just like so to me i want like an episode where it just ends up being like a secret square jackpot has like 20 prizes so when they have to go through the entirety of what you won it takes up a whole act of the show so it's just like you won a secret square prize you won this 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 and we'll be right back for more anyway you also want a trip for two to Hawaii. Not only that, we're also giving you a, a television package full of this and recliners, recliners from Lazy Boy. These pair of reclining chairs, and then suddenly you hear that. Oh, time is up. <laughs> Just, I mean, that's like a funny thing I had in my mind. I know you're probably going, "What the fuck's wrong with Jordan?" Uh, and they get the square, they win the prize package, and the game continues. If they don't. It carries over to the next game, and the prize gets bigger. Usually, it's usually it's prizes. I rarely see cash because the cash is usually in the if you win the game, like you win the tic tac toe game, you get the money, and it just continues from there. Uh, you you continue with round three, and then we continue until time runs out. That's that's usually how it goes. Uh, Hollywood Squares and with Pierre Marshall lasted well into the early 80s, 81, I believe. So it stood almost 25 years on television. Wait, 15 years on television. <laughs> Give or take a decade. What, what's, who am I to say? Uh, 15 years on TV as one of those iconic institutions of TV. And then as it fizzles out... They decided to bring it back in the form of the match game Hollywood Squares Hour. Wow. No, it's just a horrible mess. I don't like match game Hollywood Squares Hour, but it's it wasn't a bad it wasn't Hollywood Squares, to say the least. It wasn't a Heater Quigley production, let's just say. This one was more of uh This was was more of a Mark Goodson, Bill Todman production. If you didn't listen to the Match Game episode, and I don't blame you, it was a solo session, and I was very, very sad and tired. In the Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour, the game was played with one full hour. Can you imagine that? A game show being a full hour. And it was broken in two halves, like Wheel and Jeopardy. But no, but the catch is that whoever wins the consolation round, known as Match Game, goes on to play the Hollywood Square section of the show, where they can win money and hopefully a chance to go into the Super Match Game, where they can win a cash prize. So Match Game, it's Match Game. Dumb door is so dumb. Ba 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 ba. Penis, penis, boobies, fart, gay, oral sex. I don't know. And then it goes into the Sha-na-na, John Bauman will be doing Hollywood Squares. Now, I will say this professionally. John Bauman is a great host. John Bauman was probably the best thing going for the Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour. He just got a bad deal. He got a bad version of Hollywood Squares. Because if the Peter Marshall era was any indication, what sold the show was bloopers the game yes there was a cash prize at stake but the format was always the same i pick so and so so and so from this tv show or this movie or this broadway play 
Yes, Peter, according to a market research study, what should every household be having in their homes by the end of the 1970s? Well, you know, when I'm in the bedroom, I like to maybe... And then everyone goes, oh, can't believe you went there. Ha ha. But seriously, I think it is going to be a generator, like an electric generator. All right. Do you agree or disagree? And that's the show. That is Hollywood Squares was the bloopers. The bloopers were the selling point to Hollywood Squares so much. They wrote books about the bloopers on Hollywood Squares, which are basically just joke books from the show to gain additional revenue from the show because it was such a successful game show. Both in daytime and in primetime, people were watching the show and they were laughing because it was a comedy show and a game show and celebrities saying silly things like, oh, wow. Unlike Match Game where it was like not where it was, you know, basically improvisational it was all off the top of their head because you can't force or tell someone to pick an answer on this show the bloopers were pre-written by a team of fun comedy writers and sometimes them themselves because you want to have their little flavor that's really them and those jokes were in books they were in vinyl records you can buy at the store and people really loved laughing along with the joke. These were kind of like stand-up comedy albums at the time, too, which in the world of game shows seems very weird. It's like imagine, like Family Feud Bad Answers compilations is maybe one VHS tape, and you're probably going to see it maybe sold a thousand times, whereas this could be sold maybe 50,000, 60,000, 100,000 times around the country. Because it's just funny, funny joke stuff. And you had great sitcom writers and comedy writers at the time. You kind of think this is a comedy show. Interacting with the contestants, writing bloopers, and it was great revenue stream. Because you had funny comedy writers, you had great questions, people were joking. And that formula kept going for 15 years. When it became the Mark Goodson's Match Game Hollywood Squares hour, they scrapped the bloopers. They don't even have fill in the blank of what you need. They still kept the according to a research study, and according to this, they were trying to be funny with the questions. They were still thinking it was the the questions were funny, not the what the celebrity says. So when they were asked questions, there were no bloopers. No bloopers at all. They could have tried and attempt a blooper and go, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, blah, blah, blah. But there is three possible answers, A, B, or C. So your blooper has to be like a fake D answer and then go, well, I say it's B. And then do you agree or disagree? Okay, well, you win the money and the square. And then if you get three in a row, you get bonus money. And that's the scoring system. It became about each square you collect more so than winning the game of tic-tac-toe. And whoever got the most money at the end of Hollywood Squares, the do-do-do-do, would go on to do Supermatch. Supermatch plays like the match game Supermatch. We polled an audience not too long ago to give their best response to this. Uh, blank ball. Blank ball. Uh, you can play, if you get most popular, a thousand, second most popular gets you a 500, third most popular gets you a 250. You can call in any one of these people. 
and it just keeps going from there. It doesn't stop. We rinse repeat. See you next episode. And then it got canceled. And everyone was just saying the same thing. What? Why? Why would they do that? That that's not Oh. 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 That makes sense. And then they're gone. It Hollywood Square's ended. And that would have normally been the bearing point if it was any modern game show. Because you try and pitch Hollywood Squares now, they'll look back at the Magic Game Hollywood Squares hour and they will just pass and go, well, no, no, that's not, no. Because it's proof it failed. So now we go into just a few years later. Because after 84, it ended. 84, of course, would also be the debut of Jeopardy with Alex Trebek. Going in 86, 1986, two years after the cancellation, the new Hollywood Squares would make its debut September 15th, 1986. And this time it's not really played like the Mark Goodson production. This is a different producing company. This is a different distributor and everything. So in this idea, they were trying to pair it up with High Rollers, which was the dice rolling game. We'll talk about that real soon. And it was a back-to-basics approach to Hollywood Squares. This time around, the host was John Davidson. John Davidson uh, was a host of many game shows, like That's Incredible and Time Machine, uh, and was in the $100,000 Pyramid and was like the perfect 90s game show host for that show. He was a great host for Hollywood Squares, and... I have to give the quick anecdote here. I fucking hate doing the anecdotes in the middle of talking about the next chapter in this Hollywood Squares story. But I vividly remember Hollywood Squares 1980s, both because that was the last that was one of the first game shows I've ever seen with my grandma. So to me this show has a lot of personal with it and it was the Joan Rivers uh, John Davidson era Hollywood Squares. But addition to that, it was one of the also very first uh, console video games I've ever played. So before, like imagine like a six-year-old Jordan before the 90s and Whoopi Goldberg showed up. Imagine me having the theme to Hollywood Squares stuck in my head. I knew that theme more than Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune, which at the time, you know, was the, you know, the, the, the classic, like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do, or the do-do-do-do-do-do-do. No, I still remember Hollywood Squares theme, partially because of classic times with my grandma, but also because of the NES video game, that it's still stuck in my head. da 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 I'm, I'm sorry now i'm just getting nostalgic um so shadow stevens who at the time was a radio jockey here in los angeles what up shadow 
uh, he was uh, he was just playing as the show's announcer because it was trying to liven up, making it more young and youthful. Like this is Hollywood Squares, and he would eventually become a uh, a, a a frequent square. He would become a regular. Uh, then Joan Rivers would show up and be the default center square to this version of Hollywood Squares, and then later Jim J. Bullock would be in this version of Hollywood Squares. And this version, might I say, was one of the easiest to figure out game shows. There was no own the square, you get the square, you get this, you win. It really was the most straightforward format. If you get three in a row, you get $500. After two rounds of $500, rounds three and four and anything thereafter will be worth $1,000. There's a secret square round in round two. Whoever gets that gets a small prize package. Wow, just like the regular game show. But instead of the uh, let's make the big prize package trip, it was just like here's a vacation. It's like a dream vacation, and that was it. So usually they wanted to speed the show up, so you would be able to get through at least three games. Or at least two guaranteed wins, and then in round three, when we go into the double round where it's 200 per square, a thousand if you win, you would hear that noise, and that means the time is up. Whoever has the most money wins the game and goes on to the bonus round. Runner-up gets to keep their cash no matter what happens. So in the first two rounds, uh, however, the car was not just given to you. In Pierre Marshall's primetime version, here's the car we're done. This is a bonus round. The very first one was this weird bullshit match game add-on. Here, we have a game that was basically, here's a cereal bowl with keys. There are five of them, and there are five cars in front of you. Each key matches one of those cars. Uh, You pick the key, you pick the car, and if it's right, you win. If you uh, get it wrong, however, and the car does not start, well, then unfortunately, uh, that key is is thrown out, and you have to return tomorrow, where you'll be playing with four keys now. Meaning that now you you can't play for, you know the car that that car started so by process of elimination if you win five games by default you win the car you would also get to call on a celebrity for good luck unless it's friday and you guarantee yourself a win which because everyone shows up to see you go vroom vroom you won the car then they decided well we're just not going to do five day limits we want to make unlimited attempts so what we're going to do is now pretty much make it a uh there are nine celebrities, each of them with a key. Five of them are actually for the car. Four of them are duds. So you get to pick a celebrity and their key. And if it starts the car, you win it. If it's not, well, that key is removed and you get to keep playing. But we're not going to tell you which key has what. So you're going to have to keep playing until you either win or lose. So a nine-day challenge. It didn't really do much for the show, and it got canceled thereafter. It lasted until 1989. However, because 1989 ended, uh, everyone suddenly got a little bit nostalgic for the original game show. So you saw it be parodied in a lot of pop culture. 
It was used in in Living Color, I remember. Uh, It was referenced in uh, comic books, Mad Magazine. And there was a bit of, uh, you know, a return to the show. And then a company by the name of King World bought the show. Now, anyone who remembers the 90s and the 80s knows about King World. King World was the... King World is basically a lot of different companies. Uh, the Real Rascals Company from the 1960s. Uh, they then he bought Hanna Barbera, and then it just keeps growing from there. Uh, Wheel of Fortune Jeopardy with Merv Griffin in the 80s. Uh, Harpo Productions. Uh, that's when the Oprah Winfrey show would start was because of King World, because they were a syndicated channel. Which, if it wasn't for her, you wouldn't get Dr. Phil and you wouldn't get Rachel Ray. They then bought the rights to Hollywood Squares from Orion Pictures. Orion Pictures did the John Davidson edition of Hollywood Squares. And they decided to pick up the show with an attempt at a revival. Now, this also became interesting because they also bought the rights to a lot of Merrill Heater productions as well, but only slightly. Then in the year 2000, King World got acquired by CBS. And that's why, if you're wondering, uh, in, in some weird form, why CBS television is on the end credits to Jeopardy because of King World. Now, that same King World owned Hollywood Squares. And this version is 1998. As we are now entering into the new future with Sony Pictures and Columbia TriStar and Sony Picture and a very fascinating uh, new producer. Now, Shadow Stevens would reprise his role as the show's announcer in the very first years of the show, till 2002, when they had the I Love Hollywood, that, that fun version. And it became Hollywood Squares, the last known revival here in America. It was hosted by a new host, a guy by the name of Tom Bergeron. People at the time didn't really know who Tom Bergeron is, except for some of his earlier work. Now, Tom Bergeron, Tom Bergeron got his start in Boston radio in the early 80s. And, well, actually, I think it was like 1991, 92. I think it was. And he would basically be the voice of like lottery results and local drive time radio whenever he was necessary in various markets. Uh, one of his, he was even the host on, on a television game show called Granite State Challenge. People may not know what Granite State Challenge is. It was basically a quiz bowl show for people who, who, uh, lived in, in New Hampshire. A New Hampshire quiz show. I'm never going to fucking cover that show. So this is your only going to be a bit. It's a quiz, it's a quiz bowl show in New Hampshire. And he would be getting different TV gigs, different radio gigs, and just be hopping around in the late 80s. In the 90s, he was still doing a lot of things, such as the Tom Bergeron show, different radio things. And because he was very important in... And he was very a big believer, even back in the early days, of meditation before doing airtime, being at peace. And... One of his his most prominent works was doing morning radio. Like he was morning talk show, morning radio guy. And a new network in 94 called FX 
made its debut before it became known for its raunchy comedies like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and What We Do in the Shadows, FX was more or less just Fox Gone Cable. We're going to be crazy. We don't know what's going on. And he hosted the Breakfast Time show and Fox After Breakfast. He was the voice. So imagine a very young, early 30s Tom Bergeron going, Hey, how's it going? Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Breakfast Time. And Fox After Breakfast, after being a successful show on FX and getting really good ratings for the channel, would eventually make the switch over to basically Fox General, Fox Daytime which is rare because Fox doesn't do daytime television. Fox Network doesn't have a Good Morning America, doesn't have a Today Show, doesn't have a CBS This Morning. So they were attempting to make Tom Bergeron the face of their Good Morning America type show on Fox. It didn't really work out. Why? Because Fox, much like the CW are basically just lenders of their name, if that makes sense. Whereas ABC, CBS, and NBC kind of have like a somewhat of a say of what goes onto their net on their programming block, like to the stations. To each station, if you have an ABC, CBS, they they'll say like you can only air the, these shows that we give you. You must air this at eight. You must air this at nine, because this is what we air. You can only air NBC shows. And then we'll give you these next six hours for syndicated shows, local news, what have you. And that's when you get a lot of weird, kooky syndicated shows. Sometime in the afternoon, a lot of talk shows, a lot of daytime things. Because the daytime lineup is just kind of just wild, wild west at this point. And daytime was never really in Fox's vision. And that goes the same on the CW, if you're wondering that too. WB... They basically had the same Fox playbook, even back then when they had Buffy and Angel. So Fox thought this was our opportunity. We're going to do the Fox After Breakfast show, this afternoon Good Morning America show. Tom Bergeron's going to be our star. It's going to be wacky and silly. This is the show that puts some of our favorite hosts on the map. Uh, this is going to be bizarre. But a very young Phil Kogan from The Amazing Race, uh, was actually one of the road warriors who would be traveling like a traveling correspondent looking at weird things going on in not just this country but around the world, which was what kind of gave him a bit of credibility when he got the job at The Amazing Race. Also, uh, my friend Craig was uh, was actually a, like a TV expert on the show. So what's up, Craig? Love you. Uh, <laughs> so Tom Bergeron... Uh, during the Breakfast Time FX thing, it was successful, really successful. It went to the network, and it took a royal shed. It just dumped, mostly because its audience, which at the time was youthful, youthful people, saw the FX network as the new cool thing. You got to check this out. It knows what internet is. It knows what cool stuff's going on. And when it goes to the network... Uh, we got to take some notes. We can't do this. We can't do... Well, I know we're Fox, but we can't really go around with this. It's People are kind of at work. The ratings just dumped. What became college-age people tuning in to a really cool show relatively made the show canceled, and Tom Bergeron was nearly out of work. I say nearly because at the same time as this show was becoming somewhat notoriety, 
he knows how to chat with celebrities and then they got the call hey you're really good with these celebrity things how would you like to audition for the hosting gig here on hollywood squares he took the role and long story short he got it there were a lot of names on that list but uh i can't give the list out why because I feel like if I did, it would feel like I, I, I screwed up. But just assume every young, vibrant host at the time, everyone from John Henson to even, I believe, Todd Newton, before he became Press Your Luck Guy, was auditioning for the 1998 Hollywood Squares. That is going to be the asterisk of please verify because I don't know. I just heard they went through a huge chunk of list and Tom Bergeron got the role. So he became the host of Hollywood Squares, and they were kind of going, well, we don't really have much of a, I mean, this is Tom Bergeron. He's youthful. He's the young guy. Shao Stevens is the returning voice of Hollywood Squares, but we need, we need a name. We now definitely need something to give it oomph, and they tried really hard to get oomph. Why? Their casting of celebrities this time around became the oomph. People like Caroline Ray, while she was still doing Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Uh, you, you got to hear Brad Garrett right at the peak of when Everybody Loves Raymond becomes the number one show. Bruce Valanche. Uh, if you ever see his face on that show, that was because he was the head writer for Hollywood Squares at the in this new rebooted version. Bruce Valanche is a comedy writer's best friend, most likely, because he was... A writer for almost anything you can really think of. Uh, he used to do. He did performance music. He did theater. Uh, he got to be a writer for the Oscars, the Emmys, the Grammys. Uh, he wrote books. He was an accomplished writer too. And most most of the people knew him at the time because he was basically the writer for the Academy Awards. He was the voice of Billy Crystal in a lot of those jokes. Up until 2014. So he was the head writer. Then you had regulars like Gilbert Gottfried. God dang out from the Aladdin things. You got Martin Mole. Who I love in the movie Clue is Colonel Mustard. Uh, you had Bobcat Goldwaite, Who at the time was pretty much every young male's favorite stand-up comedian. Uh, you you had George Wallace, Kathy Griffin, Jeffrey Tambor, but I mean Jeffrey Tambor before Transparent, and that allegation. But while people know about that, they also know about the Center Square, Whoopi Goldberg, in the '90s, as in this is the peak comic relief Whoopi Goldberg. Post sister act Whoopi Goldberg. So when she said, I'm the center square in Hollywood Squares, this is 1998, people were like, What? Because this was at a time, and I mean, kind of still is, where people are kind of shocked that, like, wait a minute, you're a big celebrity right now. What are you doing on a game show? Similar to how you say about, like, Jamie Foxx hosting Beach Shazam. Or maybe you can even go as far as to say why Alec Baldwin's doing Match Game. Or why Elizabeth Banks would be doing Press Your Luck. Uh, but she was the center square. So she was the technically the star of the show. Before The View. This, I should put it, this was before The View. This was kind of before a lot of things happened. Um, 
Now, Whoopi Goldberg's basically, she went from the center square in Hollywood Squares to now being the view. She has to fill in, she has to be the Barbara Walters now for that show. Um, so, yes, Whoopi Goldberg was the sailing point to Hollywood Squares. Yes, Tom Bergeron was like the host and he's young and up hip. What's up, guys? Hello, stars. Hi, Tom. Whoopi Goldberg is the face. Holy shit, we got Whoopi Goldberg. And I think here's the thing, though. What a lot of people say is even though you're just seeing Tom Bergeron and you're seeing Whoopi Goldberg, you weren't seen behind the scenes. And this is where it's really interesting. There are two people you have to actually give a lot of credit for for this version of Hollywood Squares. John Moffat and Pat Torkley. John Moffat is comedy. Uh, the 1986 comic relief special was one of his ideas. Fridays. He was a director for Fridays, that iconic sketch comedy show where you got to hear M Michael Richards was there and uh, Larry David and Jack Burns was the now. Oh my God. I just, I'm now getting flashbacks of Fridays and just what an iconic show that was. The Andy Kaufman incident too. <laughs> that was just so much fun. Uh, all of these stand-up specials from people like Jim Jeffries and Ricky Gervais and Colin Quinn, he was the he was part of Mr. Show with Bob and David on HBO in 1995 to 1998. Uh, he was the producer for not necessarily the news in 84-89, a good precursor to what you would hear about today. Uh, the Richard Pryor show in the 70s. Uh, the, the, uh, Jesus, uh, One Night Stand, uh, all, all sorts of stand-up comedy. John Moffat was a person, and he lent his name there because he knew if he can book the stand-up comedy, uh, acts of the time into your show, you have a hit. Uh, Pat Twork Lee, at the same time, was also best friend. Like, so a lot of the things he did would also basically be there from One Night Stand to Not Necessarily News, Comic Relief Specials, George Carlin Specials, Bill Maher Specials, uh, all sorts of stand-up comedy. So they both had stand-up comedy background and Fridays on their background. So when they did Hollywood Squares, they were looking for the primary thing that makes the show work. Good celebrities, very funny. So they were trying to aim for if this is the new Hollywood Squares, we're going showbiz. We are going with like, this is kind of like you were at the Oscars. You don't know who you're going to see. Look over there. This is someone from a new movie just coming up. Look down there. That is someone who is the secondary character in a major sitcom. That That is, to me, what I forgot to bring up in the very beginning of the show. The greatest appeal of Hollywood Squares is the stars in the show. Because what you see with Hollywood Squares is major players in Hollywood or up-and-coming stars in Hollywood that if you were basically in Hollywood Squares, you were now going to be an established name in one form or another. Rather, this is like your one and only gig and, hey, this is you. You're Or, hey, you were on Hollywood Squares, so now we're going to put you into this show, into this show, into this show. That's the gamble with Hollywood Squares. But you were a major player now. Your, your star is going up if you were on Hollywood Squares. You were a who's who, especially in the 90s Hollywood Squares of being a who's who. So there is a bit of aspirational thing, too. If you were the contestant on Hollywood Squares, yes, you get to say, I want Alec Baldwin. 
because Alec Baldwin would just agree to all sorts of weird shit. He's Alec Baldwin. Ellen DeGeneres, before, you know, all this stuff happened with her talk show, you got to think Ellen, the person who lost her sitcom in the 90s for being gay, that Ellen being on Hollywood Squares and the uprising of her career in the process. So you you had all of these great comedians, you had all these celebrities, and you, this, the contestant, are going to win money. And uh, they, bang on the scores, it's kind of weird. Uh, so what they did was, for this version of the game, the first game was for $1,000. Second game, $1,000. Game three, $2,000. And if they had time for a fourth game or any game thereafter four thousand dollars and that would be the game round two is obviously still a secret square game and in game two uh the first time was just a small prize then they in season two onwards when we get into when it was good really good uh they played for the original peter marshall secret square stash where it was like prize after prize after prize after prize and I thought this was brilliant. This is fun. And this is Hollywood Square. This is what made the show feel great. This is like, I'm picking Whoopi Goldberg. But then you go around the board, and it's just different who's who of celebrities. That it, It's not just you have to call Coolio, even though Coolio's there. Uh, you can get real celebrities. And I thought, wow, this is actually pretty cool. The fun had to, however, come to a halt in, what else, 2001. So 2001, Whoopi Goldberg wanted to do more films and television shows, so she left the show, leaving The Big Appeal. Mo Fat and Lee got fired from the show. Bruce Valanche, no longer the head writer. Caroline Ray, no longer going to be a regular. She's going to do the Caroline Ray show because of the success on Hollywood Squares to her career, plus what happened with Sabrina Teenage Witch. And they want to do it because they had to find a replacement to Rosie O'Donnell. Uh, so the show becomes royally a shit show. To the brink of mostly... I'm, I'm not going to say a wreck, but this was where you watch the show and you're just not going to enjoy it. Now, their version of the bonus round was really weird. They had the most money at the end of Hollywood Squares in the original version. They got to play a really easy game. Here's nine celebrities. Each of them have a prize. Pick the celebrity you want to play with. Oh, here's your question, and then I'll read the answer. Do you agree or disagree to win the prize? Originally, they just gave you the prize, but now they decided to do one question, agree or disagree. And that was the show. That was the show. The show comes to an end midway through this crash, and all they're thinking is like, "Okay, should we just add like a big car? Should we just throw money at this? What do we what do we do? Twenty thousand, eighteen thousand, a Jaguar, BMW, something? What what do we? What the fuck do we do to appeal to these people? Because like most game shows, uh, if if you're losing a lot of your talent, and everyone's leaving for other projects, you start thinking, throw money at it, maybe it'll work." And, uh, well, it kind of fizzled out. Season 3 almost became the last season of Hollywood Squares until an unlikely source would jump in. Henry Winkler, The Fonz. 
Hey, I shouldn't really like. I, to me, I I still feel like shit saying Henry Winkler's the Fonz A because yeah, he's offered Fonzarelli, but Henry Winkler is just like a great funny actor, and I love them in Arrested Development and in in Barry. I just like there's a lot of fun little shows that he does, and it's like I, I love him all these other works. I I just don't like just going, hey, you were this guy, haha. No, because he does a lot of great voice work, and he's a very co- funny actor, very talented actor. So I, I wish we just didn't, like just stereotype him as just the Fonz. I'm getting ahead of myself. He's just a great comedy actor, and uh, Henry Winkler became the executive producer he became the new face of hollywood squares and he decided you know what we need to rebrand the show we whoopi goldberg's no longer here but we still have tom and we still gonna get celebrities we just got to get a new package agreement and this is going to be the newest newest hollywood squares get ready baby this is h2 everybody get up this is the hollywood squares Yeah, that one. So the 2002-2003 version was really fun. It played basically the same way as the original Bergeron run, because it's still Bergeron. They just had to rotate the center squares. And most of the time, they tried to do theme weeks, like game show hosts. Or uh, they would try their best to get, like, special, like, Pierre Marshall was a center square on this version of Hollywood Squares. They would have, like, music week they would have uh they had american idol like they had simon cowell as a center square at the peak of when american Idol was huge and he was mr king of mean because he's the mean british man oh boy um and then it would go to martin mole why because you were the long you were the longest running like regular panelist here you're the only one who didn't somehow end up with a talk show so you're going to end up being the center square uh, in these versions of the show, uh, they would still play the same thousand dollars, thousand dollars, two thousand four. If whoever had the most money going on to the final round, they did two different versions of this new bonus round. One was a, a game called the Big Money Round. They decided, you know, what would be great is if you make the Big Money Game Show, just like the show. You would pick a celebrity. And they would have values ranging from a thousand to five thousand. So a thousand, fifteen, two, two half, three, three half, four, four half, five thousand. Uh, the champion picked a square that contained more than one person. The champion selected only one person from that square. You know, you got to think like Bird and Ernie from Sesame Street. Uh, the champion was given sixty seconds to answer as many questions as possible. Anne was allowed to ask their partner for help. However, only the champion's answer was accepted. Each correct answer was worth the value on the envelope. So each correct answer is worth three and a half thousand. Each one's worth four thousand. Uh, 
which was revealed at the start of the round. At the end of the 60 seconds, the champion was given a choice to either quit with the money earned or go double or nothing on an open-ended final question with the category given to the contestant before they made the decision to play on. That's it. So you made 45000 Do you want to go double or nothing for $90,000? Oh, boy. Uh, well, uh, okay. And then they went into the second uh, version. The second version is the one people kind of remember. Uh, this was the one that people, I think, would remember most about Hollywood Squares' bonus rounds. Well, in the first half of the game, we got to see what the stars know, but let's see what you know about the stars. They would pick, you would have uh, 60, you have 30 seconds to pick a star. A fact will be given about the star. Agree or disagree. If you're right, that brights up. If it's wrong, it turns red. Uh, you go through all nine facts in 30 seconds. Or if time runs out, then you're just kind of screwing those are considered wrong answers. For every correct answer you get, it's going to help you in this luck-based final round. You get one thousand. Uh, you get to pick uh, one of nine keys. Uh, one of which is the keys to a brand new car. So if you got nine keys and you only got five right, that means. You guessed it. If you could do math, nine minus five is four. A one in four chance at winning the car. If you fail to win the car, you get $1,000 for every correct answer you get, meaning $5,000, and you get to come back tomorrow. So if you're right, you hear the vroom, vroom, everybody get up. And then if you're wrong, you hear that noise. Um, that's... That's my impression of a steamer trunk. Um, anyway, uh, if you fail, you do get to come back tomorrow. And if you come back and win, one key will be removed for you no matter what. And you play the same game again. Uh, the first key win is for a brand new car. Uh, the second is $25,000. So you win a car and $25,000 plus every single cash you've won in the show so far. Third is a world vacation. So usually like two or three trips. Fourth trip is fifty thousand. Fifth was one hundred thousand, and they would get to continue back as often as they can until they win that fifth uh, key game, in which case they get one hundred thousand dollars. So it plays much like the '80s edition. Here, here's the key. Open the car. Vroom, vroom, vroom. Or here's the key. Open the safe. Vroom, vroom, vroom. And then, like people kind of enjoy that version with the with the little keys and everything. They decided, you know what, uh, we, we need to tie in the budget a bit on the show. And I'm going to tell you right now, when you appear to reduce the show's primary budget, like we used to have a $50,000 cash prize, and now our prize is 25000 viewers immediately tune off. I should point this out to any producers. If you're going to change the cash prize on the game show, you are basically playing with fire. Because what you've done is you've basically made the audience think the 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 day in day out. This is the rules of the show. This is the cash prize. This is what goes on. And when you pull back because of budget, like now we're only going for half the money or a third of the money, people usually go with basically this is a sign for help, and they just step back and don't watch your show anymore. So just throwing this out here. 
don't throw the prize budget out. Do not ruin the prize budget. Do not ruin the game. In doing so, you risk losing the audience in the process. And guess what they did to lead to their cancellation? So in their new version, no more $1,000 per correct game. and you, No, now it's just like the original, original version. You win two out of three games, you win the show. And you get to play the bonus round. You don't win the. You don't get to just get the car. You don't get like the cash prize. No, it's best two out of three wins, and you win two thousand dollars. Because we assume like, well, that's two thousand dollars. You win game one and game one. That's two thousand dollars. You won. And if you and if you uh, lost the show, you get no bonus cash, no consolation five hundred bucks or a consolation thousand dollar. None of that. No, here's $500 for every square you get. None of that. Go fuck yourself. We only have $2,000 for you for winning the show. Congratulations. There's also the secret square, but no more secret square stash. You think we're made of money now? Fuck you. Here, you know what you're going to get? You're going to get this umbrella. You just want the umbrella and, and the table and maybe four chairs. That's all you're getting. You're not getting the whole kit. You're not getting like the beach towels and the sunscreen. No, no, no. You think we're made of money? Fuck off. No. Go 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 to hell! Fuck you! You 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 want the barbecue grill island like with the fridge and the marbling? No, you're only getting the grill and you're gonna like it. That was what it appeared to be on Hollywood Squares H two in the later part of season six. To make matters worse, uh, because this was a two out of three format, you couldn't book in the show anymore. Maybe because of time constraints, maybe because of something else. But because you the first two to three goes on to the final round, like in a throwback game show, they would then get to go on to play the fine the bonus round. Now I know what you're saying. <laughs> Don't tell me they fucked this up too. Yeah. So if you won the first time around, you get to go to the fun safe, not play for a car, and it's for a small trip. Then, if you come back and win game two, you win two more games, you get $10,000. Then, if you win another, you'd be another contestant in another two out of three games, you can play for a luxury car. Game four plays for $25,000. Game five plays for a trip around the world. However, if you failed, it doesn't matter. You're not going to lose a key anymore. Fuck you. We're not even going to give you that advantage. Go fuck yourself. You're gonna go. You're gonna have to win it the old-fashioned way and get and just play by luck, okay? Also, we're not giving you a thousand dollars per square anymore. It's only gonna be five hundred. So you know what? We we just we just think it should be five hundred, not a thousand. Uh, we're not getting the advertising money as we used to. Whoopie left. We blew uh, three years of prize budget on the big money bonus round we thought was going to work four years ago. If it was a theme week, like a game show week or a t or a music week uh they would instead play kind of similar to the original version in which uh the format was from the first version where it's played to time and then we go to a bonus round where one person can win ten thousand or a car and had one key eliminated no matter what happened uh which is like okay that's actually kind of good yay but it's also uh Bookended, one-and-done shows, so yay. So the show gets the axe in 2004. Out of here. 
and syndicated game shows have kind of fumbled ever since. You're only getting Will and Jeopardy, maybe Family Feud, and then always there's a rotation of different shows. 25 words or less might be the new thing right now. Funny You Should Ask might be the new thing, but for every one of those, there's Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader, Deal or No Deal, Trio Pursuit, America Plays, America Says on Select Stations, and many more. Syndicated game shows have kind of now become this weird abyss where every so often there's going to be a new format, a new idea, and then it gets picked up. But the budget, because syndicated television is very low now, it, it never really becomes a big thing. So you're going to be looking at like $10,000 game show minimum cash prizes on these shows. You're not really going to be seeing heavy prizes and luxury gifts that that ship has sailed why mostly because we as viewers don't really watch tv in mass quantity as we used to because of streaming media we kind of just divert to watching youtube videos and whatever we feel like we are now in charge of what we watch we are the schedule makers not them so for a syndicated show uh, it's very low budget, and it needs to be something that fills the hour. Game shows usually do that, but so do talk shows, so do courtroom shows. So it becomes just one of those few shows. Nothing really original ever shows up in syndication anymore. You're going to be picking up reruns of The Big Bang Theory. Why? Because we know that was a success on CBS, and maybe you want to watch a rerun of that show. It's here. We're going to fill an hour. Wheel in Jeopardy, if you haven't noticed, they kind of had longevity. Family Feud survived because of Steve Harvey, because of the YouTube poll that that show got. Wheel of Fortune, it's all licensing. It's all about the wheel, and you're seeing it at casinos and resorts and the spin IDs and solicitation. Jeopardy, it's on the name brand of Jeopardy. And that's kind of where we are. Like, eventually... Jeopardy and Wheel and all these game shows have to eventually figure out how to make it to the internet platform. Some people have already figured out, like, well, you can use Sling, you can do all these different services that you can pick up syndicated shows. With a Jeopardy, with a Wheel of Fortune, they're gonna stay they're gonna stay grounded and they're gonna get millions of viewers every night. For many other game shows, you'll be lucky to get three hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, a hundred thousand a day. So if you can't really succeed in the world of syndication, the only other way you can get your game show across is through selling it to a network. About that. So Hollywood Squares, the format, is a very successful show, and they have decided to bring it back. But it's not Hollywood Squares. It's hip-hop squares and Nashville squares. I feel like if I go through them, I don't. it's not Hollywood Squares, but because I say, fuck it, this is like the last episodes, I will go through Hip Hop Squares and Nashville Squares. So, uh, Peter Rosenberg, in the early MTV2 version of the show, would play on a really rinky-dink set. If you win a tic-tac-toe, you get $500. Round two, it's worth $500. In round three, $1,000, meaning less money than in the original syndicated game show but just as much as the 80s edition which is kind of weird 
but the secret square and the cash prize associated with the secret, the secret square stashes, that's all gone. Instead, <laughs> this is funny, we have something called the G-Spot. Get, get it? You guys ever fuck the G-Spot? You ever, you, hey, hey, you virgins out there, go fuck, because you won't know what G-Spot is. <laughs> you G-Spot. Horny posting. Anyway. Uh, G-spot because G is short for grand. Because if you pick the square and you're correct, you get a bonus $1,000. Uh, if time runs out in the middle of the round, each square is worth instead of uh, $200 or $250 or $500. It's only worth 100 bucks. Whoever has the most money at the end wins the show. They get to play a bonus round where they can win a whopping $2,500. They get to pick one of three rows. With each celebrity in the row providing an answer to a multiple choice question, A, B, or C. If you're correct, you win $2,500. That's the bonus round on the MTV2 Peter Rosenberg Hip Hop Squares. Now, here's the thing now. As much as I'm going to shit talk Hip Hop Squares and Nashville Squares, I know almost for a fact that the casting for the celebrities who are in these squares these hip-hop squares in nashville squares like they got fat joe and dj khaled machine gun kelly and then they get like mtv people because this is fucking mtv so bam margera was there and nick cannon from wild and out i remember this is 2012 so nick cannon was really in the upswing america's got talent and and all of those shows I wanted to read out this press release uh, that they had because this is the kind of shit that I've been reading on the news segment of the show. Hip Hop Squares is a great representation of MTV2's new brand filter to deliver smart, funny, and relevant content that speaks directly to male millennials or millennials. <laughs> Fuck you! <laughs> uh, as we call them, said M Paul Ritchie. Head of programming for MTV2. Millennials. Fuck you, your guy code bullshit. The show will refresh an iconic format and create a fun, dynamic series that's unpredictable, heavy on personality, and much more party than game show. Which was the fucking format never said. What the fuck? Also, if it's more party than game show, then you're not going to have much game in your format, and that means that no one's going to watch. Uh... And then they keep playing with the different thing. They cross the spectrum from musicians and celebrities to athletes and casual fans of hip-hop, Paul Ritchie says. The show will refresh an iconic format and create a fun, dynamic series that's unpredictable, heavy on personality, much more party engaged. Again? They say that? All right. They, they use the same quote twice in the press release. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, you fucking male annual. Male annual. God damn that fucking shit. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> That is, I, I hate to say it, that is like, that's the whitest bullshit term I've ever heard. That is like someone coined that in the office workplace. We need something for young males, the new millennial. The millennials. Oh, I like that. That's what it, sound, it sounds. So it, for a show called Hip Hop Squares, that's the whitest thing I've ever read in a press release. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And then we go into MTV uh, VH1's version. And in this version, uh, instead of Rosenberg, uh, we are dealing with actually one of the funnier comedians of our generation, D. Ray Davis, to do uh, Hip Hop Squares. He's the best part of this show. The casting 
also good because in the world of hip-hop guess who they got as the executive producer ice cube but nicole lynn who i know from a lot of comedy and a lot of tv shows uh she's also plays as the like announcer for the show as well so you have ice cube being the executive producer and this is one of the early signs at least to me of the big name celebrity getting involved in a classic game show and Ice Cube's name has reputation, and with that reputation comes even bigger celebrities. Not only is Ice Cube one of the squares, you get Rick Ross, you get Lil Duvall, you got Ray J, <laughs> you, you get Cardi B. If Cardi B is around, she'll do it. You have all these great celebrities, very fun uh, host and for some bizarre reason, they decided to mess with the format in a way that I, it, I, I, I got, I get frustrated because what they decided to do was because this is hip hop squares, we're going to make it a half hour game show and time is constraint. We're going to make it basically just two games and we're going to randomize the values. So, uh, anywhere from, from like five hundred dollars to fifteen hundred or three hundred nine hundred, it's always random values on the screen. You pick a celebrity, and whatever value is behind it is yours. If you are if you are correct, and to agree or disagree, you can't just say I agree or I disagree. You have to push the agree or disagree button on your podium to lock in the answer like a new game show. If you're right, you get the money. If you're wrong. You don't, you don't get the money. Whoever gets the square gets the cash. If you get a tic-tac-toe, tic-tac-toe, no, that's another game show, tic-tac-toe, you get uh, $1,000 and 2000 in round two if you have enough time. But the secret square is now called Hidden Square, and it's in game one, and you get a bonus prize, and that's it. Whoever has most money goes to the bonus round, and uh, they get to play in the bonus round uh, three in a row where they try and get a tic-tac-toe by playing randomly press-your-luck-style beepity-boopity-boops. In round two, they change it to another different bonus round because they're like, ah, we don't want to do that, called pick-tac-toe. With pick-that-toe, uh, they get to pick three celebrities that form a tic-tac-toe. Each celebrity holds a, a record sleeve which contains a disc. Eight of those discs contain cash prizes worth 1000 to 5000 one disc is the car or a vacation or a, because of a Burger King sponsorship, $25,000. Whatever prizes are revealed by three celebrities reward to the audience member. If the grand prize disc is not chosen, the identity will be revealed. Then, because I, I guess they didn't want to do, here's an easy tic-tac-toe, here's Square Secrets. Uh, celebrities are asked before a show to reveal a secret about themselves. The celebrity contestant and her partner have to pick one of three squares in tic-tac-toe formation. Once chosen, the host reveals a secret that's attributed to one of the three celebrities, A, B, or C, to win $10,000 or $25,000, probably because of Burger King. Anyway, I forgot to bring up the reveal that uh, there's no civilians playing the fucking show. So in addition to playing random celebrity guess-a-pick, you're also getting the other annoying thing. Celebrities are playing against celebrities, but they're on behalf of the civilians. So instead of having the civilians 
play the show. They're just sitting in the corner, just clapping, and that's it. That's they don't have any real speaking role except for just, hey, tell me about yourself. Well, I'm a college student. Thank you. Okay, that's that's hip hop squares, and it sucks because you got Ti on the show. You got all of these big names. You get Childish Gambino on there to tell jokes. What the fuck? The appeal of the show is, yes, bloopers. And it's also, yes, the party atmosphere because it's a who's who of Hollywood or, in this case, hip-hop. But it's that interactivity. I'm talking to the celebrity right now. I need help from that celebrity. I'm picking so-and-so. That's the appeal. To not let that civilian get any direction in the game, not even where to go on the board, means absolutely nothing significant to the show. To me, that that makes the show just not exciting to watch. I I don't care who wins. It's a celebrity. It's a celebrity game show now with celebrities. You're just attaching a civilian to the show now just so you can have some aspect of this as an actual game show. If it was me and I had to make the call, throw out the cash and prizes and just make it celebrities with celebrities because that seems to be what they only want to do with the show anyway civilians with civilians just throw them out don't even have them just make it so it's just uh, the contestants are all celebrities the people in the squares are all celebrities and just have a fun old time right just do all the viral video moments that they want to do and just make it a ball because that's what the modern uh, hip hop squares is, and guess what? That's also kind of what they did on Nashville squares. Random num, random value pick a square. Hey, it's comedy celebrity. Hey, comedy. Hey, blue collar comedian guy, tell the joke. Now let's do a funny bit. And for four hundred dollars, uh, the answer is Paps Blue Ribbon. Is it Paps Blue Ribbon? Joke, joke. Yeah, is it Paps Blue Ribbon? Joke, joke. Oh, yeah, that's right. X gets the square. So much like the show, whoever gets the most money wins the game, and they're, they're cele- they, they all get to play with money, and they, they're all happy. The winning audience member gets to go into the bonus round, just like how they did in Hip Hop Squares, where it's the only time they actually get to be on stage. And on that fun version... They get to play for a car. They get to select a, a celebrity, and it's uh, and they get to do the the hidden squares uh thing from hip hop squares A B or C to win double the money. But then you also get to pick one of the nine stars, and it, you get to f- open the card and vroom vroom, you win the car as well. So that's. That's what Nashville Squares and Hip Hop Squares is. They've elected to, instead of focusing on just quick joke, 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 blah, they wanted to do more long-form comedy segments and long-form jokes and stretch a show out for 20 minutes, by the way. They're searching it for time for 20 minutes. And it slows the game down. You get rid of what makes the show appealing, which is celebrities hanging out with civilians. And it's all about the civilians. Hey, I'm hanging out with the guy from the sitcom that I like. You get rid of that in favor of 
a cheaper show, a show that feels reduced. And when you start reducing the show, it just never feels right. That makes sense? To me, if I was to do Hollywood Squares, because I have to end the show eventually, I have to end the Hollywood Squares show, I would not do Hip Hop Squares. I would not do uh, what they did with Nashville Squares. I would not even do what they kind of did with with Hollywood Squares. I, I, I feel like the best way to do the show is uh, you would do if a network game show. You would put it on like ABC, NBC, Fox, CBS. It doesn't matter. Most likely ABC because it's ABC. We'll pick any game show. I would probably get Tom Bergeron again to host because uh, as of this recording, I, like three days ago, he got replaced by Tyler Banks on Dancing with the Stars. And I would make it an hour-long game show, hour-long, and make it almost like the same kind of weird segments that you're doing on Hip Hop Squares and National Squares, just not the, we gotta make this go viral moment. Like, we gotta, like, for fuck's sake, Reba McIntyre doing Cornhole is not gonna entice me to watch a game show. So we're gonna get rid of that bullshit. We're gonna get rid of, let's watch the celebrities do the thing. Because that is not gripping television by any means this is a comedy game show so if you're going to be uh, doing anything that goes viral you make sure the blooper is fucking hysterical enough to go viral otherwise don't fucking do the show you would make sure you get comedy writers in the room to write the funny jokes then you would make sure you get established celebrities to be in the squares the nine squares. We're talking actual people. Yes, you can get Joel McHale. Yes, you, you can get Titus Burgess. Yeah, you, you can get Baldwin. You can get uh, Anthony Anderson. Those are good casting calls for the Hollywood Square squares. But when we're looking at that center square, I better be fucking seeing a big celebrity. I better be seeing Elizabeth Banks in that center square. I better be seeing... Will Smith. I better be seeing Samuel L. Jackson, someone where I'm going, holy shit, they got so-and-so. That's what I want. If I was to do Hollywood Squares, the big celebrity in the center and everyone else is either a big-name established comedy actor, comedian, or somebody that's on the ABC celebrity cycle. That's all you need to do. So then you play Hollywood Squares like you used to play Hollywood Squares. Not two out of three falls. No, no, no. We're not doing like two out of three. No, no, no. You guarantee a fucking car at the end of the show. No matter what, someone's going to win a car. And guess what? This is the most mind-boggling thing. You're going to fucking throw more money at this fucking show. Whoever, game one, uh, will get you $5,000. Game two, $5,000. Game three, $10,000. If we make it to game four, you guessed it, we're going to $20,000. And in the event you hear the noise, you just throw $1,000 for every square. We couldn't complete the round. I know we're still, it's very cheap to say $1,000 after I said $5,000 for winning the game, but I got to point this out here. A thousand bucks is essentially game show consolation prize. So you throw a thousand bucks as the squares, you're good. 
And because I'm relatively thinking there's going to be maybe four games, because if you're looking at how the show is currently stretched out to be almost just two games of hip hop in Hollywood Square, just you can do four games or three games with the same concept in mind without going, this one's for $700 and this is for 2000 No, no, you're just playing three in a row for five grand. Three in a row for 5000 10000 and then $20,000 if they can complete game four, which I'm almost guaranteeing myself they won't. But if they did, oh wow, it breaks even. Just like how in the Hollywood squares of now, 1000 1000 2000 and then game four is for 4000 Wow, that's almost the exact same tie. I just multiplied it by five. Look what I did. I'm a smart cookie me. So, this is prime time. You can win lots of money, 5,000s. That actually should translate, if I could actually do the math correctly, to if we actually play it correctly, to about $40,000, maybe 50000 And I just want to remind people, we aren't doing a bonus round. Whoever has the most money wins the game in the car. So that's it. You're playing the game. We end it. Here's your car. See you next time with two new contestants here on Hollywood Squares. That's it. You stretch the show to an hour. You give away a car guaranteed at the end. You still have a show. You can still have time to do your look how silly uh, this person is. Look how funny doing the chubby budding challenges or... Uh, whatever is will be the hot latest internet craze fidget spinners remember those if you really wanted to get into the syndicated route though all you have to do is make it three games 1000 2000 3000 half hour show and whoever wins will most likely pick a star and whatever prize is attached to it because apparently you can't even get to two full games of hollywood squares in a half hour anymore so just make it three. If time runs out, 500 bucks or something. Just make it like game breaking. 500 bucks per square. Please notice I said 500 bucks a square on a $3,000 game. So nine times 500 is 4,500. Therefore, it's fucking game breaking. It still surprises me as of this recording. Hollywood Squares has not decided to do a quarantine special considering celebrities are stuck at home and it's a Zoom call. You just do a three-by-three three grid with celebrities and then two contestants on the side and a host. You did it. You made. Tw- you just need 12 boxes. If you can fit 12 boxes, you got a at-home version of Hollywood Squares. Please consider it, whatever network is listening to this show. If you're going to be stuck, you can't quarantine, just do a Zoom call Hollywood Squares. I'm sure it's affordable. But please do it before the internet assholes of the world decide to do it. And someone's going to be like, oh, I would like uh, Dr. Disrespect for the block. Is he still relevant? Is he? I thought he got banned. Which gamer says slur? To, like, it's going to be a gamer who says slurs. Is basically where I'm getting at with this. Please, please beat them to the punch and make a Zoom call Hollywood Squares. You don't need to make every moment go viral. You can't make you can't replicate the Peter Marshall era of this was the best singers I heard on the show. Man, that cracked me up when Paulin said this. 
so if you're going to replicate Hollywood squares, make the zingers so uproariously funny, it breaks the host and the contestants, and then it goes viral on YouTube. That's all you need to do. People can't figure it out. Also, you got to make sure if you're playing Hollywood squares, you have celebrities just in the squares, not as the contestants. Because to me, that's what makes the show work. It's the aspirational aspect. It's the civilian to celebrity team up friend part. No one's at each other's throats. Not even the two contestants. It's all a lighthearted fun game. And it's tic-tac-toe, which is simple as hell to play. Imagine stretching a game of tic-tac-toe for 20 minutes. It's aggravating. So I thank you at home for listening to this episode uh, as I took you a journey through a bunch of variants of Hollywood Squares over the years, my appreciation of the show, and what makes this show work. Because this show is is just, to me, an iconic piece of television history, and for some bizarre reason, people decide if we cheapen the show out or we just force the tells of the show this will be the hit. It doesn't work that way. It has to be casual. It has to let loose. And it has to be funny. If you just want celebrities telling jokes with funny questions, you're better off just watching Funny You Should Ask right now. So that's going to do it for us on the solo sessions. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Big smooch. Mwah!